You're listening to a CFCC audio podcast. For news and service times, visit www.cfccnet.org. Good morning. It's good to see you guys here today on this cold April morning. <laughs> kind of strange, only in Texas. And, um, but it is so good to be here. Today we begin a new mini-series entitled Face to Face, Life-Changing Encounters um, with Jesus. Face to Face, Life-Changing Encounters uh, with Jesus. As we kick things off today, I, I'd like you to help me out. And um, I have a question for you, and this is a time to brag, okay? Wake up, guys. This is a time to brag. Ready? So I would like to know the most famous person you have ever met. Now, you, you did not actually have to say, hi, my name is, and da, 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 okay? It doesn't have to be a long conversation, but maybe eye-to-eye contact, you shake their hand, okay? So help me now. Who is the most famous person you have ever met? What? Mary Lou Redden. Who met Jimmy Carter? Jimmy Carter, I, I heard him speak when I was in high school, kind of interesting. Jack, oh Jack, Jack's met so many famous people over the years. He really has. Robin Williams. Sting. Charlie Pride. Donnie Wahlberg. Donnie Wahlberg. George W. Bush. Grandpa on the Munsters. <laughs> Grandpa on the Munsters. <laughs> hey, hey. Barry. Pope Paul. Pope Paul. Wow. wow. Festus. <laughs> but he was Festus, like Grandpa on the Munsters. Warren Buffett. Wow, I'd like to speak to you after. Uh, David, um, make note of that. Um, talk to him afterwards about stewardship. Oh, wow. Ted Nugent. Jose Altuve. Who? Ronnie Barrett. Just a few more. Paul. Yeah, Paul, pay you afterwards. So years ago in Australia, my wife shook hands with Prince Charles. And um, that's a big deal. That's the most famous person she has met. Anyone, I I know we could go on forever. Bum Phillips. Phillips. The Hulk. Oh, the Hulk. Lou Ferrigno. Uh, my brother-in-law actually met Andre the Giant in Australia as well. I don't know what all these people are doing in Australia. <laughs> Pete, Rose. Pete Rose. Wow. Uh, George Strait. George Strait. A wrestler who is out of circulation. Sure. Ivan Pusky, he gave me a hug and a kiss. 
Ivan Putsky. You have to know wrestling, right? Um, who are the brothers and the father who are famous wrestlers? Von Erichs. I've met them. They used to live down the road from me in Chandler, Texas. All right, I got to stop. One more. Who? Well, you know I'm really into this band. Uh, I don't know the name, much less the band. So imagine this, guys. In the book of Corinthians, Paul writes that hundreds of people met Jesus face-to-face between the resurrection and the ascension. And we know that. We, we don't have a record of the 500 disciples of Jesus that met him after the resurrection, but I take Paul, the apostle Paul, at his word. And the apostle Paul said he met Jesus face-to-face as a man unnaturally born, a little different encounter on the road to Damascus. Today we're going to look at two people on the road to Emmaus. Only Luke records this story. Um, People who know God's word better than I do often say that this is, is one of the most vivid stories recorded in any of the gospels. There's lots of detail concerning this encounter with Jesus Christ. Let's pray before we read God's word. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is true. We thank you that we encounter you in your word. And Father, that you long, you long for us to engage, to lean into your word. And Father, where it makes us uncomfortable, uh, we, we are comfortable with that fact because we know you work change in our life through your living word that is active, that you've purpose to accomplish your work in us. Father, help us to walk um, with these two individuals on the road to Emmaus as they encounter the living Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a Bible, turn to Luke, Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 13. Thank you, Kevin. That very day, two of them, two disciples, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Uh, many people believe that the seven miles was actually a round trip journey, not actual seven miles one way. And so the disciples are on this journey. One of the disciples' name is Cleopas. There's a big debate whether Cleopas' wife is with him, whether his son is with him, or whether another disciple of Jesus Christ is with him. It really doesn't have a huge impact on the story. Um, I believe another disciple because I don't believe we should argue with our wives, okay? And, and if he, this was his wife, he, he probably had a hard time after that. Okay, and, and 
So they were on their way to Jerusalem and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. So what had happened? Um, Jesus came into the city, triumphal entry. Jesus was unfairly tried. Jesus was beat. Um, Some would say beyond recognition. We cannot imagine the beating that he endured. And then he hung on a cross. He died for each and every one of us in this place. He took our place on the cross and then he was resurrected on the third day. They're talking about all these things. However, they're not clear on the resurrection. They're still not convinced. In fact, I don't even believe they understood uh, really um, what that was going to be all about. Verse 15, remember I said they were arguing? Um, While they were talking and discussing together, the words talking and discussing together, some translations say arguing. Some translations say debating. They're tossing their thoughts back and forth to each other. Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And then he spoke to them. Guys, when we have a face-to-face encounter with Jesus, and I might say a heart-to-heart encounter with Jesus, or a mind that hears the scripture and is impacted with the words of Jesus, um, something happens in us. Uh, a choice occurs often, but, but something happens in us. We are changed. And, and even though that's the theme of this message is not a negative change, but when we make a choice, either we draw closer to God or we move away from God. It's just not that we remain static. When we encounter Jesus, something happens. And so what happens here is unique because they're kept from recognizing Jesus. They encounter Jesus on this road. They're kept from recognizing by God, I believe. And later their eyes are going to be open to who Jesus is. Guys, when we encounter disappointment in our lives, uh, Jesus is present always. And he is present when we least realize it. When we've hit the proverbial rock bottom, when we're at the end of our rope, when we're most frustrated, when disappointment is dominating our lives, Jesus always is present. And yet typically we don't recognize his presence. We're going to talk today about a life-changing encounter with Jesus, moving from disappointment to hope. Moving from disappointment to hope. Disappointment has been and is most likely a part of every one of our lives in this room. Disappointment will happen in our life at some point in time. Trials happen. 
Things do not turn out as we expect it. And if we're not careful, disappointment will dominate our lives to the point our minds are not on Jesus at all. Let's look at this story a little further. Jesus engages them and he says, verse 17, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still. They stopped walking. Jesus' question stopped them in their tracks. And they looked sad. They're bewildered. They're sad because of all that has happened. I'll guarantee they're disappointed. And look at how they respond to him. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him. Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? Are you, what's the deal? Where have you been? Right? That's what he's asking Jesus. Why are you clueless? The whole city knows what has happened. Who are you? Look at how Jesus engages them. And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. Jesus was um, powerful and mighty before God and before men. He performed miracles. He preached and taught as no one had taught before. The spirit of the Lord was on him. And all of us knew it. We sensed it. We were certain of it. And how our chief priest And rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Do you hear the had hoped? It's critical in the story. Do you know what items in your life that you had hoped about that you've given up hope on? I had hoped. We had hoped. But now we wonder if it's ever going to happen. Guys, they had hoped big things. We had hoped that he was the Messiah. We had hoped that he would free us from the bondage of Rome. This mighty power. We're a a small nation. We had hoped. 
Some believe that Jesus as Messiah, Jesus ushering in his kingdom was more than just a physical kingdom, but involved a spiritual redemption. But you see, they misunderstood that fact because even if that was true, they saw a ruling king coming to establish his kingdom. They saw a ruling king who would deliver Israel from their suffering. Look at this quote by N.T. Wright. N.T. Wright, they like everybody else in Israel had been reading the Bible through the wrong end of the telescope. They had been seeing it as the long story of how God would redeem Israel from suffering. But it was instead the story of how God would redeem Israel through suffering, through in particular the suffering which would be taken on himself by Israel's representative, the Messiah. Disappointment robs us of hope. Before disappointment can ever be confronted, before we can ever experience change, we have to be able to state our disappointment. Could these men state their disappointment? They could. Give them a break, guys. We had hoped, but we hope no more. Oh, he was a mighty prophet. He was approved by God and by men. For his powerful acts. But what happened? How can this be? How can our our Messiah that was going to free us from pagan rule now have been dominated, have been killed by the pagans themselves? How do we get here? What happened? We were not appointed for this. We didn't make this appointment. What appointment have you not made? What did you never conceive would happen in your life? But it's happened now. If you can't state it, you can't confront it. If you can't state it, you might live in a forever fog, seriously. Unable to become the person that God longs for you to be because this disappointment is dominating your life. I've been there. I'm dealing with disappointment in my life right now. As I speak, I wasn't too sure about giving this message today, quite honestly. But I've seen disappointment destroyed in my life before. And I have to believe that God is present, that Jesus is present in my life when I least realize it. 
I, I have to know because I'm experiencing it to some degree right now that disappointment robs me of hope. What had you hoped about? Now, I'm going to be saying better because I'm a little older than many of you. Some of you will laugh, but I am than many of you. You know, maybe you had hope for marriage or maybe you had hope for children or maybe you had hope for a particular degree. Maybe you had hope for a particular job. Maybe you had a vision of marriage that has not become reality. And so now I'm going to use the word better. Maybe you, because of where you find yourself in life, had hoped for a better marriage. You had hoped to be better parents. Just bluntly, you had hoped for better children. You would hope for a better retirement. You with me? What, what you had hoped is not what your reality is today. Disappointment can rob us of hope. But thank goodness for Jesus. Thank goodness for Jesus. He doesn't say, you want to live that way? Go right ahead. No, he meets us. He speaks to us through his word. Maybe when we're together through his word, when we're in private, through other followers of Jesus, through our spouses, through friends, through coworkers, through his spirit that lives within us as followers of Jesus. But Jesus does not pull punches. He will let us have it when we most need it. They say, moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning And when they did not find his body, verse 23, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. There's still uncertainty. And he, Jesus, said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart. Jesus says to us, O foolish ones and slow of heart. You see, I believe foolish um, is not about feeling here. Foolish is about facts. And we find truths in God's word that we stop thinking on and we stop reading about. And and because of the way we're living, obviously we must have stopped believing them. 
Because we're now hopeless people. And when we're not believing God's principles and God's promises and God's word, we lose faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, that's a Bible study, right? If, if your life group leader is leading that study, I mean, you just need to say, wow. Jesus leads him on a Bible study. And by the way, I do not believe he, he just picked this scripture and picked this scripture and picked this scripture. No, I believe he went from the book of Genesis all the way in the Jewish Bible, Old Testament, the last book is the book of Chronicles. So from Genesis to Chronicles, Jesus showed them the truth about himself. From Genesis. The gospel is not plan B, it is plan A. Jesus came was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, and gave his life. No one took it. He gave it for you and me that we might not live hopeless, disappointed, faithless lives. But disappointment robs us of our hope. I have a really good friend who warns me, Dale, be careful saying that because people will misunderstand it and they're just gonna think more lowly of you than they really should of their pastor, right? And there is truth in that. So I just wanna say I agree with that to some degree. But in a particular area of my life, I've lost hope. And why do I lose hope? Because the disappointment that I'm focusing on continually will continue to grow in size as long as that is the primary focus of my life. Does that make sense? 